Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. He takes being cook to a whole new level. These students can't afford to feed themselves. Do the best you can for your child. And you look around for supports and there's nothing there. Just get up and do our best today and that's all we can do. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Funny, isn't it? That story that we got yesterday came into us. Somebody rang in. His name's gone from my head. And then Katie got onto the guard the press office. And that assault on that young woman the uh, guy the press office confirmed it to us it's a huge huge story uh, many many rumours going around about who did it but uh, my understanding is that they know now they have a good idea who did it and there will be an arrest which is great which is great but then we were discussing yesterday just how I felt personally Saturday night when I was out for a few drinks I just felt that the city had gotten very rough and I got turned on by a few people who, who disagreed with me. But then if you look at that story, you know, and other stories like it, can you really argue with that point? I'll come back to it. There were some more comments uh, held over, one in particular from Anthony, that I'll read in a wee while. Good morning to you. 0818 96 96 96 is our number. Also, uh, if you're having a wedding soon... Because now we can go and have weddings and we can have bands and we can have DJs and we can have all that again. Would you ever issue your wedding DJ with a list of songs not to play? It's a thing now. It's, I, I remember getting the odd time when I'd be doing a wedding. You know, you can't play that song now. It's awful. You just can't play that song. Invariably, that's a song that would wake the dead and fill a dance floor in a graveyard. But, but, some people... Are there songs that you would tell your DJ absolutely not to play? Just a thought, just a few things to think about. Good morning, 0818 96 96 96. Now here's a question to start us off. How many people die at least partly because of the length of time they have to wait in an emergency department stroke A&E? We reckon that a number of people do anyway, every year, every month, every week, that they die. And unfortunately, partly partly down to the length of time they were waiting to be attended to in an emergency department. uh, Based on international data, and there's all sorts of different statistics and figures that are put together from around the world to calculate this, they reckon that in Ireland previously it was around 350 per year, which is a lot of people. That's like pretty much one a day, bar a few days. But there's new research now indicating that that figure could in fact be a good deal higher. Uh, might be more than the 360. Uh, it was published in the Emergency Medicine Journal, British-based research that used, I think, different research 
different types of research, different metrics is the word they use. And they reckon there's a significantly higher rate of mortality depending on the length of time someone has to stay in an emergency department. Uh, the president of the Irish Association of Emergency Medicine, uh, Fergal Hickey, says they'll re-estimate their figures in time based on this new research, but it's almost certain that the figures are now higher. I'm joined by our doctor, Chris Luke. Uh, we haven't spoken in a while. Chris, good morning and good to speak with you again. Uh, you're aware of the research from the UK, and I think you're not particularly surprised by it. Good morning. Uh, yeah, good morning, PJ. No, I'm not in the slightest surprised. Um, in fact, um, the situation in the UK and Ireland diverged significantly around about 2000 uh, and in the year or two after that because Tony Blair and Frank Dobson, his Secretary of State for Health, decided to really uh, target the problem with waiting times. When I was a young consultant in, in the Royal Liverpool in the early 90s, we would regularly have 50, 60, 70 people on trolleys. We're talking about 1994, 1995, and people waiting for 6, 12, you know, 16 hours and longer just to get into the hospital. So this problem has been around for 25 years, and it existed on both sides. Uh, but in 2001 or thereabouts, Tony Blair, uh, as I say, threw an awful lot of resources at it, he imposed sanctions on chief executive officers of hospitals and their medical directors, and he issued an edict that all patients had to be out from the emergency department within about four hours. And as I say, he resourced that, that instruction, that edict. And as a result, their waiting times basically uh, collapsed, mm. uh, and they were getting 90% of their patients uh, in and out of the department within four hours. And that was a, an enormous blessing to the staff and the patients. And I must say, I looked you know, with great envy uh, across the Irish Sea at the situation there as we got worse and worse year, year on year. And how did he do it, Chris? Was it simply money, more well, doctors, more Well, first of all, he, as I say, he imposed sanctions. He said, uh, basically, the chief executive officers were, would be either dismissed or punished or penalised if their hospital failed to, to perform. He uh, resourced the situation so that more staff, more nurses and more doctors and more consultants were appointed. Uh, and as I say, there was a, a general uh, instruction to the ho- hospital, the corporate hospital, that the problem in the A&E department was not just a problem at the, at the back door, that it was, part, it was the responsibility of all parts of the hospital. Uh, and of course, as you'll know, this is something that we've been uh, trying to persuade people about for, for, for decades now, that you know, if your emergency department is chock-a-block, it's not just the responsibility or the problem or the, or the fault of those within the emergency department, that it's, it's, it's as much to do with the fact that there aren't people being processed and discharged up on the wards mm-hmm. uh, as anything else. Yeah. I mean, after five o'clock, everybody comes in through the ED. And if you take the CUH and the Mercy, of which you're both uniquely familiar, having worked in both, everybody comes in through the emergency departments, even if they have a, are having ongoing treatment, say, for kidney problems, for cancer, for anything. They all come in through ED after five o'clock. That doesn't help. No, yeah, and that's, that's another cause. That's a major cause of the problem. Um, basically, what you're talking about is the fact that uh, in 2022, the emergency department is increasingly the only portal of access. It's the only way in to the hospital for patients in the community. 30 years ago, the general practitioner could ring his colleague, his, the surgeon or physician in the hospital, and explain that he had what sounded like or looked like an appendix or an, an early heart attack, and the patient would be referred directly to the medical ward or the surgical ward or to an outpatient clinic. 
that's now um, dwindling. That, that capacity has dwindled, and now almost everybody is pitching up to the emergency department because it's being seen not just as a place for emergencies, in other words, unforeseen crises and injuries, but also a place where you can have your blood tests and your scans. In other words, you can be processed. And that, is, that has been a disaster. That idea that we'll just get you to the a department because they'll process you and tidy you up and make you fragrant and put, an, uh, put a, you know, a ribbon around your, your chart uh, and present it neatly to the in, in, in-house teams. That's been a disaster because, as I say, it, it means that it's become a self-perpetuating uh, uh, idea mm. that everybody should come through the emergency department. But, of course, it's, it's m- almost the main cause of overcrowding, the fact that it is the only port of entry. Yeah, I mean, if you look back to the old accident and emergency, you would see people, Chris, I'm sure in your time as a consultant, you would have seen many people presented to you for treatment who you would treat as a doctor and your colleagues would treat as doctors and nurses. They were neither an accident nor an emergency. Precisely. And I used to uh, I mean, a, a touch of black humour, as you can imagine, PJ, is essential if you're working in an emergency department. And I used to say that people kept coming to the butchers and looking for a loaf of bread. In other words, it said in a big red sign outside the department, emergency. And yet people would come in and say, I've had this tattoo, I'd like it removed, or I've had this rash for seven months, could you do something about it? Or, I've, you know, or, or in other words, similar long-standing issues that were not emergencies and that were certainly not unforeseen were pitching up to the emergency department and looking for the therapy. And what they would say when I said, well, I'm sorry, the, the bakery is next door, they'd say, well, my, my buddy, my cousin, my uncle, my, my granny ha- was treated for exactly the same thing in the department. And people, the staff just gave up trying to resist that, you know, uh, pop demand for you know mm. what, what we call a and d anything and everything yes. and again it's the other that's the other cause of the problem is that people you know they, they really think that the emergency world is for anything and everything and yeah. it shouldn't be mind you mind you they, they, they do that in the uk as well and and they did still solve the pro- the problem uh, one personal observation was i i presented myself one night to, to a hospital in london i knew i wanted to see a doctor i was nothing like an emergency but I was sent in the front door, I was triaged, and the guy who triaged me said, there you are, corridor two, you'll be seen in about an hour. I was in there equivalent of South Dock, inside in the hospital. Perfect system. Yes, and that's, and that's one of the many, many... There are many solutions, PJ, and many, many solutions that have worked... Uh, and all the, uh, the, the, the Department of Health or the HSE need to do, as I keep saying, I keep harping on, is come and talk to us at the front line. Uh, I, you know, there are wonderful examples, for example, during the cyber attack in the HSE of staff coming up with solutions to the crisis. And you'll find that in the, hospital, uh, in, in, in the hospitals and the community health service is that the staff themselves on the ground are wonderful at coming up with the innovative solutions. For example, like, like putting a, a sort of South Dock uh, service in next door to the emergency department. Now, do you know what's an awful thing to see, Chris, and again, I'm sure you've seen it in your time, is to see an elderly person in particular whose chronic illness has come back to affect them as it can at one or two o'clock in the morning. And what you see in their eyes is fear. You don't see the pain of the illness. You see fear that they're going to be sitting there for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Because that's the only place to go. What do we do to stop that happening? Oh, PJ, I mean, you're basically describing the, the scenario which great, most upsets me. My own, my, my own dear mother... Uh, in her early 90s, ended up in, in the emergency department in Seawage with her fractured hip. 
Um, so, I mean, I'm very, very much aware of that. And, of course, I have so many friends whose, whose mum and dad end up in overcrowded emergency departments. And it's very much at the top of my frontal lobe, at the, you know, the very front of my thinking when I'm, when I'm fretting and worrying and, and talking about overcrowding. That is the, is the key scenario, the elderly, distressed, frightened patient uh, who is stuck in the middle of a noisy sort of war zone uh, be times uh, waiting for someone and not knowing what's going on because it's a totally inappropriate uh, scenario to be in, in the middle of, of, of mayhem on a, on, on a Sunday morning at 2 o'clock. One of the solutions and um, again, uh, it, it is emerging in Cork and it's emerging in Dublin. And as I say, PJ, notwithstanding all the stuff that I'm talking about, which is just a description of the problems, we are constantly fixing these problems. And I am incredibly proud of the innovation that goes on in our EDs mm. everywhere in the country. So one of the solutions to that particular scenario is the development of, of, care, of elderly emergency departments. And we have the, the, that service is now uh, there in St. Vincent's, courtesy of a, of a Cork-trained consultant. And it is, it's evolving in in CUH, where there are, are, there's a designated facility uh, with four, five, six uh, um, cubicles uh, that are specifically designed to reduce distress to the elderly, to the frail, to perhaps people with, with early dementia. Uh, and again, it, it's, it's a way forward. It just needs to be resourced and to, to, to be grown. Mm. I think what I'm hearing, Chris, from yourself and all the experience that you have, and you're thinking, I'm sure, of colleagues like Jason Vandeveld and, and Connor DC, colleague, colleagues of yours, past and present. I think what I'm hearing from you is listen to us. We know what to do. Equip us and we'll fix it. Yeah. And I was very gratified to hear Paul Reid actually say uh, as much uh, when he was talking about the response to, to COVID in the first few months. And he was talking about some of the hospitals, uh, for example, the Rotunda being so agile and, and innovative uh, and, you know, uh, you know responsive to the, to the crisis. So uh, I, I'm hoping uh, that, that, you know, the fact that the staff on the ground, be it in maternity, be it in care of the elderly, be it in diabetes or be it in emergency medicine, the staff nearly always have the solutions. They just have to be listened to. And are there things from the last two years, are there things learnt in the last two years that could be applied to sorting this out? Well, I think that's the number one thing. You know, I mean, you, most of the changes, and many of you will have seen the remarkable changes in the Mercy and CUH in the last two, uh, two, two, two years in terms of separate separation of spaces. I mean, we now have two extra sort of uh, small buildings outside the Mercy Emergency Department, which are uh, designed for ambulatory, in other words, people who can walk in and walk out. Uh, and much of that is run by the advanced nurse practitioners. You know, I'm a massive fan and champion of nurse practitioners. These are the autonomous uh, doctor level nurses who uh, can see and treat uh, extremely well a, a huge slice of, of the pie of, of emergency department work. Uh, and they're, they're leading the way there in the Mercy and CUH. Uh, also, you'll have seen the sort of triaging, the streaming, what's called streaming. Uh, it began with kind of COVID, non-COVID, but I, I, I think that will continue. You'll see people, for example, you'll see streaming to the new pediatric, the children's facility, which is evolving in, in CUH, uh, about just near where the old eye casualty used to be, uh, or the old outpatient clinics are. There's going to be a very swanky new pediatric facility there. Care of the elderly in the emergency department is, is drifting again towards the inner part of the hospital, but it's still connected um, and people will be streamed to the children's area, to the care of the elderly area, to the ambulatory area for the nurse practitioner and so on. So streaming is, is, is one way of, of, of literally streamlining and in, in enhancing efficiency. You just staff all that though. 
You have to staff all that. Um, basically, at the end of the day, PJ, I mean, I can talk about uh, innovation and, and thoughtfulness and, and so on, but it always has to be resourced. Mm. Chris, today is the 2nd of February. It's Groundhog Day. You and I have been having these conversations on and off the air for the damned part of 20 years. We ever seen into it? Um, I... I've been reading. Uh, I've been reading the literature, the, the medical journals, uh, recently in, 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 in preparation of a, of, a, of a big lecture I'm giving soon. And you know, if you look at the the, the, the medical journals from the 90s, the 70s, the 50s, the 1890s, the, it was ever thus. So the battle to provide healthcare is a bit like the war on poverty or the war on disease. Uh, it will always be with us. You know, the poor will always be with us. The people who are in need of health care will always be with us. And the problem, the demand will always, I think, be greater than, than, than what we can provide. But not, nonetheless, we have to keep looking at models of better care all around the world and keep looking for ideas, because that's how our health service has evolved. And I, I, again, I, I must say to you, PJ, you know, you, you have to just look at the facilities now in St. Mary's and Grona Broca with the team there run by, you know, with Sister Nula Cullen. You've got to look at the facilities of Mercy, the brand new department that we opened about uh, 12, 14 years ago, plus the additions, uh, the new department that keeps uh, evolving uh, organically uh, at CUH. And that, of course, is the way. I mean, I remember going as a young consultant to, to, uh, to, to Europe to look at their emergency departments and being mesmerized by the facilities in, in, in Belgium, which look like, you know, their hospitals look like, like Lego buildings yeah. because they're designed to con- constantly expand little bricks uh, every two or three years yeah. are added as resources and needs. Where, where uh, is, sorry to cut across you, where is the global gold standard at the moment? There, there isn't one. There isn't one because uh, basically, uh, I mean, it, it, because what happens is you get leadership popping up. You know, you get the great heart transplant surgeon in Papworth, for example, and he or she transforms the care there and becomes, it becomes the very best. But the, the issue is you don't have these leaders, you know, in the tens of thousands. You only have individual leaders who are brilliant innovators and so on, and teams gather around them organically over 10, 20 years. So I suppose if I was to be a bit glib, I'd say from our point of view, uh, I, I would hope that we, we don't imitate or emulate the American model because if you don't have insurance there, you are in terrible, terrible trouble. I think probably the model I would, I would want to imitate is the Australian model. Uh, and, uh, and as I, I said to you before in the past, you know, we have a great friend of ours uh, in, in, in just outside Melbourne who has umpteen Irish doctors at consultant and non-consultant level working with him. And he, has, he doesn't even know how many consultants he has. He has a department that's much, roughly the size, I think, of uh, the Mercy, possibly. And he has about 25, 26 consultants and umpteen junior doctors. So, you know, again, they have extraordinary resources. But, but here's the thing, uh, PJ, maybe to leave with. You know, he keeps telling me that the doctors and nurses are not necessarily that much happier, notwithstanding the amount of resources, because, you know, the more you, you know, if you build it, they will come, I suppose, is, 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 the, is the summary. Yes, yes. The, the anything and everything syndrome, it doesn't just happen here. Chris, appreciate your time. As always, let's say, Dr. Chris Luke, consultant in emergency medicine, his book, is a worthwhile read for any of us interested in our health system, where it has gotten things right, where it has gotten things wrong. Chris's book is called A Life in Trauma and one of the best reads of 2021, bar none. Can we just talk? 
Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The Premier League Live, powered by Talk Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. The weekend fixtures take a two-week break, so we're back Saturday, February 12th, with some cracking games. The relegation battle is on, and the fight for top four has just begun. One, the, the Premier League Live. With now, stream live Premier League action with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Listen every Saturday, exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download Download the Corks 96 FM app. Corks 96 FM. Quick reminder to you that Premier League Live is on a wee break at the moment. It's back on the 12th of February on Corks 96 FM's app or indeed at 96fm.ie with all the commentary from the big games powered by Talk Sports. Trevor Welsh and the team back on Saturday week. Premier League Live Online is with Now. Your sport on your terms, streaming only the games that matter to you most with Now. Listen Saturday on the Corks 96 FM app or go to 96fm. Dot IE. 0818 I'll... Yeah, let, let us do that one from Jackie. Jackie's been through to us on the WhatsApp. You can send us a voicemail anytime you want to 083 396 96 96. Uh, Jackie had something to say after listening to Dr. Chris Luke. Listening to Dr. Chris Luke, I would like to say I finished his book recently and I think he has underestimated his um, impact on the medical services in Cork. I think he has underestimated his capability, his contribution and the amazing person that he is and was as a, as a doctor in emergency medicine. I think so too. Go back and read. By the way, if you want to get the audio book, he voiced it himself. He read it himself. And I love when people write their story and then voice it themselves. Like Chris has done it. Uh, Gareth O'Callaghan did it. Uh, Phil Coulter's done it, actually. I'm listening to Phil's book at the moment. Phil will be 80 this month. And Billy Connolly's done it as well. His book is Windswept and Instry. Uh, audio books voiced by the author. They're just wonderful. 0818 96 96 96. So the Leaving Cert result, or the Leaving Cert decision uh, announced the other night, very late at night, by Minister Norm Foley, brought to Cabinet, pushed through yesterday. And a lot of people, parents of Leaving Cert students and Leaving Cert students themselves, simply not happy. The students had polled in their secondary school students' union. They'd done a poll and maybe 40,000 of them, 68% of them, said they would prefer uh, a mixed Leaving Cert, a hybrid Leaving Cert. But the decision has now been made that they'll go back to a regular written Leaving Cert with changes, with extra choices. That's the decision made by the government. It's hard to gauge. Yesterday I was listening to a lot of the comments on programmes from students and from their parents and from some teachers. Many of them very unhappy. But then it tends to vary. Moraid has been speaking to Alice O'Callaghan. Now Alice is head girl and the, a Leaving Cert student at Kinsale Community School. Moraid has been speaking to her about uh, the decision as announced by the minister in the last 48 hours. Yeah, honestly, it's great to have, you know, 
a goal I suppose now again because it was really hard to know what we were working towards some people were saying oh we need to work towards the pre's for the leaving search and others were saying the pre's isn't going to count in the predicted grades so we're better off you know working towards small tests or working towards the big tests so everyone was kind of doing different things and it was really overwhelming I suppose for a lot of people but some people were able to keep their heads which was really tough I suppose disruption has been just there's been disruption all the time over the last few years and probably in all your senior cycle in school has been disrupted with Covid mix of probably at home learning and teachers being out and everything so it's been quite a tough two years Yeah it's actually crazy to think about it the last full year we had in school was third year so we were the last year to do the junior search and some people in the in the year don't didn't have the junior cert either so it, yeah it's tough for them and you know it's it's really it's a different environment you have to really adapt to all these different things that the curveball has been thrown at you but it's great to be out of the woods now and to know that you know what you're working towards and what's happening and there's no more kind of unknowns and I guess you know part of the plan I was to maybe look at the questions look at the way the exams are presented and account for all of that disruption so that I suppose that has to be welcomed as well oh yeah definitely of course many people would have preferred the hybrid grading as like I was saying there was a lot of people in my year out this year out this week sorry as they got COVID over the weekend or something and you know we have the pre-start next week so they were just so lucky it wasn't next weekend that they got it but that's kind of really disruptive for them yeah they can be studying at home now I'm sure that's what they're doing but <laughs> hopefully <laughs> but at the same time they've missed a whole week of work so I'm sure that they would have preferred if we got the hybrid grading but I'm sure they'll be able to come to terms with you know they, if they just put in the work themselves now to make up that last week because you can't keep everyone happy at the end of the day it can't, has to be fair a semi-traditional grading system would be the best possible outcome I suppose for us all you can't please everybody at the end of the day it has to be fair that's the view of the head girl at Kinsale Community School Alistair Calla who is also doing her own Leaving Cert this year the Leaving Certs are in school this morning I would imagine most of them anyway so what about their parents how do their parents feel and did you discuss it with them last night was the discussion along the lines of well look it's not what you wanted but this is what's there and this is where what we have to do now. I was kind of saying yesterday, well, look, they're not happy. And we listened to their reasons as to why they wanted hybrid. And we listened to their reasons as to why they wanted the choice. And, and we listened to their reasons. But practically, it doesn't appear to be, notice I say it doesn't appear to be, possible. So now you just got to get your head down and, and move and work. Let us go to the Cork Life Centre to see how the news was received. Don, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Uh, The uncertainty was causing anxiety. Now we have a decision. How's that decision being received? Um, You know, I suppose at this stage, nothing surprises me with the Department of Education any longer. Mm. Uh, Because... You can't just say you're going to do something and then the schools don't know what's happening. And, and this is continuous. Like, we're into February. And actually, I made it out yesterday. The kids with, uh, with the time off, the Easter holidays, and, uh, and the Easter holidays, they, they will be doing their orals. They have, they have 60, probably 60 school days left to do their exams. Um, an exam that people have cribbed about for years that takes more, that it's too long the, the court um, the sixth year. Now, these young people have missed, definitely missed 50 days, uh, which would put them above what the, the, the young people last year did. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, 
out. So it's contacts or with COVID. No. <clears throat> the issue for me here is not about doing the exams. That's, that's not the issue. The issue here is that we're three years into a pandemic cycle with exams. Yeah. And we've gone from having no plan to having a no plan. And we're still with no plan. And I think it's, it's, it's absolutely disgraceful. And, and, and the other thing is, like, you know, you talk about anxiety with kids. Like, <laughs> they've made certain that the anxiety is already going to be heightened, heightened this year. Because the young people, over a quarter, have never done it, didn't do a junior survey because the department dropped it in the first year of the pandemic. No. But isn't that the reason why, Donna, one of the key reasons why they've said we couldn't do hybrid this year because we, we don't have accredited grades to go on. We don't have a junior cert to go on to calculate grades. Oh, OK. OK, I, I take that. But let's look at the statements. So the statement on, on, uh, that we were getting over the weekend from the Department of Education was it was going to exams only. The reason for the exams only was inflated grades and a quarter of the students hadn't done junior cert. Yeah. The reason Norma Foley came out last night on the statement, and I could not believe it. So that was the reason. What Norma Foley guaranteed last night was, don't worry, we're giving inflated grades. Outside, don't worry about the H1s and H2s, we're going to give you those the same as last year. Which means, if there was inflated grades last year, there will be inflated grades this year. So they're going to recalibrate even the written exam results. They're going to recalibrate them. Yes, and I, you see, here, here's the based issue. on what though? There you go. <laughs> based, based on whatever the department's data is, because look, in, in all fairness, though, right? If you were managing, I'm managing a centre here, and right through the the three years, we have had to cut the cloth to measure make changes, have a second tour plan in place in case things happened. And we have done that. And here we have a Department of Education who in three years have gone nowhere, ha- have done nothing except heighten anxiety for children right around the country. And it, it is grossly unfair. And this issue about exams is only sidetracked because here's the problem with the exams anyway. The number of young people in the last two years that they have done the leaving service that didn't go into that decided not to take up their college places, and among all them again this year, it is absolutely uh, it is historic. <laughs> you know, like <clears throat> the idea to start being given about the inflated grades, that it was unfair to people that would normally have done better or the schools that normally would have done better. Yeah. But have a look at, and, and I mean, look, we're, I'm having a meeting tonight with teachers from across the country because we're looking, we're going to look at these league tables. Because the data that's given on them can prove anything you want. But the, the, the actual only thing that I feel is where are the extra H1s and H2s went to? And leave me tell you now, it wasn't in the car play centre. Yeah. We were very careful in what we did. Because here's the thing. We were not just doing it for the, the, the young people that were doing the exam, but the young people that had done the exam in the past and the young people that are going to do it in the future. And well, no matter what I think in the leaving cert, that is the exam we were working under. And, and look, we, we prepare our students. Yeah. But, but, I am, and, and this is not being forgotten about. We have no mental health, we have a, a, a backlog of mental health that is going to get worse 
once this pandemic is up, we're going to be hit by a tsunami and they're putting nothing in place. And if you win the Department of Education, you say, that's not our business. Yeah. Not our business. We, we've dealt with kids in the past, right, who, who haven't done a junior search, who spent their time maybe in, in their own bedrooms or, or in, or in a, a mental hospital for young people. And they never did a junior search. And we had to take them totally true. The junior search has always been important, if for nothing else, to show young people what an exam was like. Yeah. We are now going into a situation where a lot of the young people doing the exam will have never, ever sat in an exam hall. Um, I know, and I have people come along and say, oh, you can't. Children weren't listened to. Teachers weren't listened to. I'm talking about teachers, though. Yeah, because the union, because, the unions, yeah. the unions were saying go for the straight written exam. The t- they, they were, they were, but but my well, look, listen to teachers and teachers say no. And, and here's the very interesting for me: they did not involve students uh, the first time around in these conversations leading to this. Now, last year they grabbed them in. Why? Because they were saying the exact opposite of what teachers said. This year they were saying the same as what teachers were saying. They never took them into the first one. There was an uproar over it, and they did take them in. I mean, it's the old people who are going to suffer in this. What what, what about the philosophy there, Don? You might have heard Maureen's interview with with the the, the head girl from from Kinsale, Alice, and she said, look, she said, at least we now have a decision. We just have to get on with it with something to work for. Yes, and 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 that's what we just... And listen, just, just let's be very clear about this. We have always operated for the last three years under, under the idea that the exams are definitely going to go ahead. Okay, that, that's that's we. Yeah. So, so, so schools and people like ourselves had had plans to move forward. The problem here is the people you're depending on to run an education system. I, I, I think they were uh, they might have been with Genghis Khan when he went over the Alps. You know, they're that entrenched. And, and I, 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 you know, I, I would love them. To the base of us, how this, how will they even start anywhere? That just opens up an awful lot of situations. What have they learned in the three years about improving the legal service? Yeah, yeah, nothing. Yeah, because right. they're not opening to learning anything. Because if they had learned something three years back when they stopped the junior cert, they would have looked and said, "Okay, what happens in three years' time if there's a if the pandemic is still here? Trade exams time? No thought. I mean." It just, it just like that's the issue here. Yeah. That we have a Department of Education who can't plan in the answer. And and if you listen to what they're saying now, it, the exams are more important than children. And to me, that is totally wrong. What they should have done was to start now to review the Levy service. Look at what worked and what didn't work. Yeah. And you know when when you look at get rid of this league table because it benefits it, it benefits no one only the top two percent. Yeah, that seems and, that, that and that's it, been blindingly obvious for years, which is why so oh, many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and look, people go people go on this right and, and and go on it and go on this and and if you look at it this way, um, school profiling was going to use. They went back this year and said they were going to use school profiling until there was a kick. The Department of Districts are sending out veterans. And if the kickback is greater, they will pull that away. And, and here's the other issue. Look, I, I'm not working for the Department of Education, but I believe this decision is based more on who's going to, who, which, which answer we give is going to bring the most litigation. 
You know? That is all they're watching. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's a whole, that's a whole rabbit but, but, hole. But, but, see, I know, but, but you see, here's the issue, like, that's what, that's what makes the department think. That's, that's what, what's driving this. If it had been in the interest of the children, as soon as the, the pandemic came, you know, we're reading things that that was going forward. Okay, the first year, people thought it would be over. But after that, people knew we were in for a long haul. What did the Department of Education do to, uh, to sort us? And here's the other question, and this now will cause havoc everywhere. We, I want our children in here every day. When we were out, we went to them. And, you know, we still provided services when they were out. I, I cannot understand, I cannot understand Oh, the Department of Education, whose first thing must be to the children that are going into education. Education is a right of every child. Yeah. They don't care about that right. What they care about is the exam. Yeah. The exam hasn't proved worthwhile in years. Uh, an, an example of that, right? Simple example of that is where's the biggest dropout of third levels? It's in the first year. Why? We don't even prepare the kids. Okay. The leaving cert doesn't prepare the kids for going into university. The big hassle last year was about 625 points. And the big hassle came about because there were so many 625 points when they went to a certain course, there was too many 625. The places weren't there. So and, and, it, and it became a lottery. Don, I'm going to yes, move. I'm, I'm going to need to... Move because no no other stuff to get. Thank you ever so much. As always, we'll talk to you soon. Cheers, fella. That's Don O'Leary uh, from the Life Centre, um, and and I, I wonder what people think about what Don says. He he never holds back. To be fair to the man, and a lot of people will agree with him, but then Alice made her point very cogently and very clearly to to Moraid. Um we might get that last bit out again of what she said that, uh, you know, look, it's a decision. Some people won't like it. Some people will be okay with it. We just need to take that decision and move along, which to be fair, that's exactly what Don is saying they'll do as well up at the Life Centre. But his point is, have the department really listened to the children and have they really listened to the teachers? That's his question. You'd wonder what the answer is. Give us a call if you feel strongly either way. 0818 96 96 96. Billy on Twitter says, Don is bang on. It's grossly unfair. It wasn't the kids' fault, this bloody COVID. It needs replacing the Leaving Cert. Kids' mental health issues aren't being helped or addressed. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Let's get down, let's get down to business. We're back to the music. The Cork's 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quark's 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. Quark's 96FM. Brian says, I think Miss Foley has taken the easy way out. And another Brian 
This on WhatsApp says the students need to cop on. All they wanted was an easy life. Well, life ain't that easy. So they need to suck it up and get on with their exams. Nora Fo- Norma Foley is dead right. And Paul says, I'd like to point out these Leaving Cert students are and will be of voting age next election. I wonder, will they vote in large numbers? And also on the phone, they might do better than past Leaving Certs mentally as they don't have the trauma of the junior cert. The department had two years to change a setup. The whole country says it's wrong. And what did they come up with? The Leaving Cert. Again, your thoughts welcome at 0818 96 96 96. Now, we were talking about passports uh, yesterday and the day before and many times before that. Richard, good morning. Hi, good morning. Richard, the passport that you applied for has come but it did actually. It, it, it came uh, three days before we're due to fly out. Okay. When did you apply? Yeah. Back at the beginning of November, it was um, it was advertised as an eight week wait um, on the passport office's website. So I thought, well, that's grand. We're leaving in twelve weeks. Eight weeks should be grand. Do you know? Mm. And was it so a first passport for somebody or a renewal? No, it was a renewal. It was a renewal for my for my son, but it needed uh, additional supporting documentation, so it had to be done through the Unpost Express or what you call it, Unpost Postal Service. You know, mm. and uh, so so we had to do it through that way. So I, I knew then before I even started. Right, I need plenty of time to get this in, and I uh, looked up on their website. The turnaround time advertised was eight weeks. So I said, that's fine. I get it in and uh, I'll have no stress and I got the opposite. <laughs> yeah. You applied on the 8th of November. and the, I think that was it, yeah. Yeah, I have the dates here. The estimated issue date was 3rd of January and by the yep. 27th, you had no passport and you got it when? Yeah. I got it, uh, was it yesterday morning? Yesterday, yesterday morning. Um, yeah, yesterday morning, uh, post office, uh, the postman dropped it in at about ni- at 9.30. Mm. How did you find the department to deal with as you were querying why it was taking so long? It, obviously, they're just overwhelmed because any time you, you tr- I tried to phone the helpline, there was it was either just ringing out or it was going on to this long waiting list. And then I, uh, the the stress and the panic escalated because um, the second time I tried to phone in uh, numerous times, I kept getting onto this answer service that just said all phone lines are busy. Phone back another time. There wasn't a, an option of um, getting into a queue. Do you know what I mean? And uh, so then there was the web chat option, which doesn't had never worked for me. I, I tried numerous times uh, to make contact on the web chat and it it just never worked so I just presumed after a while that it was broken Yeah, initially the website gave you an estimate of the 3rd of January you now think that was just purely uh, uh, um, following an algorithm or something I have no idea. I mean, look, obviously between Brexit and COVID, then the, you know they are, and I, I, I recognise they are overwhelmed. You know, um, it, you know, I, I just wonder, was it a mistake to, to to close the passport office and not classify it as an essential service? Do you know? Yeah. What What did they say to you when you complained and told them about your stress and all of that? 
I mean, look, they were very nice. There was, there was, they were completely professional. And the first time I made contact, it was shortly after January the third. So it might have been three or four days, maybe five or six days after January the third. And I finally got through, and I got through to a nice guy, and he was like, "Yep, I found your application number." And you know, he said, "Yeah, it's with a checker." And I then told him, "Look, we're we're we are flying out. Um, you know." will I get it? And he said, well, look, I'll mark that down on the application. And, uh, uh, and I then asked him, you know, well, how long is it going to take to get here? And he sort of, you know, said, mm, probably two weeks from then. So I was thinking, okay, two weeks, that's still grand. We're going to get it before we fly off. So that's, that, that's, that conversation was fine. So I left him alone for two weeks. I just, you know, took them at their word that they were going to be two weeks and two weeks came and passed and nothing. So when I phoned back the next time, that's when the panic panic stations, because first of all, it was much, much harder to get through uh, um, to them. And secondly, when I finally did get through to a guy again, professional, no, no problem with their manner and, yeah. and, 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 you know, they're, they're just doing their job, you know. Um, but this guy I spoke to the second time around said, oh, yeah, we can, we're not going to be able to guarantee that you'll get it in time. And that's when I started to freak a little bit, you know. I was like, oh, inside. I wasn't, I wasn't freaking on the phone. I was yeah, just, yeah. I was, it, it just, I, it tends to be incredibly slow, like glacially slow, you know. And it's yeah. almost as if, it's almost as if they... <laughs> They don't seem to know when your passport will come up. Like they, you should be able to give them a reference number on the telephone, and they should be able to say, "Right, that's in the system now, and that'll be ready on X date." You'd think so. I mean, the from who I've, you know, just friends and family I've spoken to. I mean, over the years, it would appear to me that they literally have a system where. I don't know, there's a red flag, the person is leaving in three days, scramble, let's get that one done today type approach. You know? That, yeah. Again, that's just, I'm guessing. Well, there's a lot of evidence you know? out there to support that theory, to be fair. Yeah. Richard, we're only talking you know, to someone yesterday about it, you know? Yeah, and, that, you know, if, if, if that works and people do get their passport before flying, you know, I suppose, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a system that kind of works and maybe it's it's a, a certain amount of flexibility that is better than a, a system that's inflexible, um, but it is stressful. Do you know? Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's 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 not a short little hop. It's no. a it's a it's a long distance flight. We're right. hoping to see family, uh, some members of family we haven't seen since before the whole COVID lockdown thing. So you know, it's kind of a uh, it's kind of special a special trip, and it would have been a disaster because there's four of us flying out and, it, and it's my son's one passport that uh, we just didn't have sorted. Yeah. yeah, well, you mentioned you mentioned Brexit in the course of that and I don't know whether Brexit has anything to do with it, but I remember Simon Coveney was telling everyone that, or telling us all that if Brexit happened, there'd be a mass exodus out of Britain and she was only a few then applied for the dual passport and they were, they were shocked oh, right. by that. You, you, you kind of don't know what's going on. I wonder, do they know what's going on themselves? Listen, Richard, at least you got it and at least you're off. Where are you headed, by the way? We're, we're going to Costa Rica, so a bit of sun, sand. Oh, I'm uh, jealous already. Sea, you know. Yeah, no, we, I mean, we are really looking forward to it. 
enjoy, enjoy. That's Richard. Yeah, I mean, do you think they'd provide for stuff like this? Do you think that they think ahead, like as Don said, the Department of Education didn't think ahead about what might happen? And the Department of Foreign Affairs didn't seem to think ahead as to what might happen with the passport situation. And we find ourselves in this country all the time, oh, sugar, what do we do now? You should never, in a professionally run organ, I mean, in the boardrooms of the world, in the corporate boardrooms of the world, if someone comes up and says, oh, sugar, what do we do now? Well, why didn't you plan for it, Dan? Why didn't you plan for it, Mary? Oh, you know, there seems to be no planning for contingencies. Now, I'll tell you after the news, I did a little bit of research on waiting times for passports around the world. Just a few, and I'll give them to you after the news. You'd be surprised, though. The fastest I could find on the planet is where? Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Stream the freshest hits of 2022 on the Hit Mix. Let's go! Or find the biggest workout bangers on the Fit Mix. The Cork's 96FM Hit Mix and Fit Mix are streaming live right now. Streaming live right now. Melody playing, playing. Download the Cork's 96FM app. Listen on your smart speaker. Or go to 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, I, I have been doing some little bit of research this morning. I, I took a number of examples and I went to their government websites and I found out the current waiting time, taking COVID into account and all those things, the current waiting time for passports. I'm wondering, would you guess what was the fastest in the end? Well, of the sample I looked at, I obviously didn't do the whole world, but of the sample that I looked at, I wonder, would you know what I found to have the fastest, or what country I found to have the fastest turnover time for a passport uh, even with a pandemic going on. Sheila says if they were all working indoors or working from home they weren't dealing with people on a normal pre-pandemic level. If anything you think the pandemic should have helped them clear the backlog that was already there in the passport office. My son applied at the end of last year, December 21. Still no sign. They were quick enough to take his money though. No delay with that. True, Sheila, true. Michael says maybe the delays are due to the civil servants being busy with lockdown parties. Oh, Michael, Michael, Michael. And Anne says my husband is an American citizen. He had to renew his passport, which means a big day out at the American embassy. The turnaround was only a week. That's impressive. And caller asks, was there a need for the passport office to just close during COVID? In hindsight, was there really any need to shut it down? Should it have been an essential service is the question you're asking. 
all these things I suppose will come out in time I don't know if you're a virgin internet user but we're getting a couple of calls just wondering if any of your listeners have problems getting onto virgin media rang a good few times I've been left listening to music for over 20 minutes there does seem to be some problem with their internet don't know for sure if you can enlighten us do let us know at 083 396 96 96 I'll go through those turnaround times in a while I'll just keep you waiting for a little bit see can you guess the fastest turnaround time for a passport I was able to find this morning 0818 96 96 96 there are so many myths and misconceptions and it's almost an un-PC term these days but old wives tales about fertility and I suppose if you're trying to get pregnant and you're struggling with it they can cause even more stress Uh, and Sims IVF is a great company they've got an outlet here in Cork we wanted to talk to them about some of the common myths that surround fertility and when I looked at a list of the great myths I'm thinking do people still think this way? In 2022, where are they getting their information from? I'm joined by Amy Murphy, who's a nurse manager with Sims IVF. Amy, good morning and welcome to the Opinion Line. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Thank you for having me on today. Good to speak with you. And I read down to a list of some of the most common. I'm asking myself, do people still believe this? Like the myth, the, the, one, the pill can cause infertility. Are they still trying to tell us that one? I know, absolutely. Look, it, it is. It's. It's. I think you know. Obviously, we've evolved in so many ways as as a society. But I suppose you know, human biology and infertility. It's still something that there's a huge lack of information on. A lot of misconceptions, and as you said, the unpc term of you know old wives' tales and things that have carried on from generations, but that still hold a place, you know, really strongly in people's beliefs. So. Yes, I said I'd come on today. As you, you mentioned, I'm part of the the Sims Fertility Clinic. I actually work in the in the Swords Swords branch, and obviously we have um, one in Clonsky and actually one very near you guys in Matten Point in Cork as well. Mm. So, um, I said I'd just come on and talk through some of these kind of myths with you. I know you have um, you've kind of done a bit of research yourself, but the first one, I suppose, as you said, is yes, the pill. This is one of the myths that has, I suppose, come down timelines that the pill can cause infertility when actually you know the the thing is with with the pill there's been extensive research done and thankfully the conclusion is that no matter what length of time you're on the pill it doesn't actually affect your future ability to conceive the only thing that people can notice is that it can take your cycle time to re-regulate itself which can cause a bit of a delay in conception but really it has no long-standing effects on your ability to have a baby which is reassuring in in the current times when people are you know taking birth control and focusing on careers and things so On that last point that you made there, which is important, like that it can take a little while for the cycle to return to normal. How long would it normally take, do you know, Amy, or does it vary from person to person? It can. It can vary based on, you know, obviously people's sort of medical conditions and cycles, their cycles before they started. But on average, for most people, it should be back to normal within three to six months, for sure. Right, right. Let's try another one here that age only affects female 
fertility. Now, we know that men, mm-hmm. some rather famous men, have become fathers into their 60s and <laughs> 70s and 80s. Uh, so we know yes. that the plumbing keeps working. But <laughs> there's a myth about the female fertility here, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Of course, there's there's always discussion on biological clocks and female fertility. There's lots, you know, there is lots of that about and lots of, I suppose, research and talk shows and things. But there's definitely much, much less conversation around male fertility, which is really something we do need to normalise. You know, it's kind of seen sort of as a, a woman's problem and has been for quite some time. But you'd be really surprised to know that fertility factors, so actually... 30% is accountable to female and 30% to male. So it's actually even, which I think that would be quite a shock for a lot of people, you know. So it's it's something that, again, we're just not speaking enough about. But as we can see, and look, you know, a man can father, you know, a child at many, many ages, but it does decline. After you're about 40, you can see, you know, when sperm analysis is done, that sperm concentration and the ability, you know, of how well it moves and the morphology, so how the sperm looks, does really decline at 40. Mm. So it does make it more difficult to conceive and contribute to miscarriages and chromosomal anomalies and things like that. So it's definitely, it's it's a conversation that does need to have a little bit more and just even more awareness if, if people want to have children that they are aware of this, that, you know, time isn't, you know, on their side 100%, mm. you know. When a couple are trying to have a baby um, and actively trying to conceive, mm-hmm. they were always told, oh God, you should be going at it like rabbits every day, <laughs> every day until eventually you hit the bullseye. Is that a myth? Absolutely. Again, yes, it is a myth. Absolutely. Look, you need you definitely need to be having regular unprotected sex um, to, you know, increase your chances of conceiving. But every day isn't necessary. Of course, if you'd like to have sex every day, work away. Not a problem at all. Yeah. But really every second, you know, really every second day is, is absolutely fine. And it does give the sperm time to, to regenerate, you know. So if you're having sex every day, there's obviously less sperm available. So every second day does seem to be the optimum time and obviously you know ideally around the period of ovulation which is around day 12 to 16 of a cycle. I don't want to sound crude but I guess you read to reload the artillery or the artillery do you know? Exactly, that's it. Maybe people will will be able to relate more to that. But yeah, and you need to obviously rest and replenish and all of that as well. So, but obviously, yes, it it is a myth. So every second day is is kind of optimal. Yeah. This is now. This is almost as 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 silly. The next one that I remember when I was young younger girls being told and women <laughs> being told, oh, you can. And forgive me for being crude. You, you can't get pregnant if you have sex standing up. Now, that was a myth. But it's also a myth that if you lie flat after sex, it makes it easier to conceive. Are they still telling people that? Yes. Uh, well, I, it, again, it is something that I hear that people, you know, plenty of people that they say, you know, if they have sex, they raise their legs afterwards or they, they tilt you know, chairs, you know, to try and lie with their head facing the floor and things like that. Mm. But again, it's it's something that's not very comfortable and it, medically it's it's not necessary. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, whatever is most comfortable for you, but it doesn't, there's no kind of, there's no way to have sex that would give you greater chances to conceive. You know, it doesn't matter. It would be great to think for people if we did a handstand for 20 minutes afterwards that we would be guaranteed to be pregnant, which would be fantastic. But no, it's, it's not the case. It doesn't matter if you, if you lie flat or you 
stand up straight away, your chances are the same, for sure. Yeah. Now, if a couple are having problems, uh, another myth is that she's the one she's the one who should get checked first. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. That's that's another one I suppose kind of brings me back to, you know, fertility being a woman's issue, I suppose in that sense. But there's so many factors, you know, that I suppose contribute to fertility issues and ability to be able to conceive, you know, whether it's, you know, egg reserve, egg quality, um obviously problems with the semen sample if there's an issue with the uterus or the fallopian tubes things like that there's there there definitely is more to consider with the female anatomy there's more variables as i said with egg numbers egg quality you know i suppose the the uterus and the tubes that they're functioning normally you know but where in with the male lifestyle and, and sperm is kind of the main consideration with women there's certainly more but as i said to you the the male factor and female factor equate in the percentages you know that contribute to issues with fertility you know so obviously look if if anybody is thinking that there's an issue they shouldn't just put it down it should be you know if if you're going through treatment as a couple it should be a joint effort that both you know if there's an issue conceiving that both kind of partners get tested you know male and female I think that would be the the take-home message okay Amy they were the ones I wanted to discuss with you I'm amazed that some of that old stuff is still going around but I guess it is what it is in 2022 what's the website that people can have a look at if they want to find out about Sims IVF yeah, so all you can, you can, we have an Instagram, so they can pop onto Instagram. I know lots of people are using um, social media these days. We have a Facebook page and an Instagram at Sims IVF. And then if, if you want to look online, it's just sims.ie. You can have a look and there's plenty of about, you know, our treatments we offer, our teams, our clinic locations, kind of diet, nutrition advice, all of that stuff. So there's plenty to avail of and great resources. Even if you're only thinking about becoming a patient, you can access a lot of information there, which is really good. Um, obviously, it's, it, you know, you can have you can have a look. And as I said, you have a local clinic in Cork down beside Manton Point, which for your listeners will be the most sort of relevant. So, yeah, there's plenty of platforms to get some information on Sims for sure. Oh. Or you can pick up the phone and give any of our clinics a call. All right. Appreciate your time this morning. Amy Murphy, a nurse manager at Sims IVF based in one of their Dublin outlets. Um, but they are here in Cork also. It's amazing the things that people used to believe that I thought were rubbished yonks ago. 0818 96 96 96. A few people asking me about the passport turnover times and they're citing the online turnover time. Our online turnover time in this country is fantastic. If everything's okay and tickety-boo and it all goes through the first time, you can have a passport back in, like Maura. Maura, her husband applied for on Sunday. And it arrived yesterday. Uh, I replied on a Sunday, had it in three days. And Paul says, great show. Passport arrived the following day after putting a new photo in. Not talking about online. I'm talking about paper passports and particularly new passports or non-standard renewals. But paper passports, not the ones, the, on- the online ones. Listen, if we could do the paper ones even half as fast as we were doing the online ones, We'd be flying. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Can we just talk? The 
Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Have you put our app on your new phone or your new tablet, yes. There's an awful lot more, you know, to Cork's 96 FM than just the radio station. You need to download the app. It's on the App Store, either one of them, Google or Apple. Put it on your phone, put it on your tablet. You get all the programs, you'll get the hit mix, you get the fit mix, you get the Premier League Live, and you'll get all of our podcasts, our daily podcasts from the show and the podcast extras, the bits of the show that we pick, we pick to let you listen back to them, as well as the full show, which, by the way, is up every day before before 3 o'clock. But you need to download the app onto your phone or onto your tablet. Do it now. Do it today. And if you have one of them lovely smart speakers, you know, if you have an Alexa, or if you... I, don't, I whisper it because she reacts wherever she's sitting in kitchens, or you have one of these Google ones, just ask it to play Cork's 96 FM. And take it with you anywhere in the world. 0818 96 96 96. Getting some stuff in on grades and exams and the leaving cert. I'll come back to those. Also, uh, it was, yeah, PJ, just wondering if you know what the rescue helicopter was doing over Cork last night. I was leaving a friend's house in Glasheen and saw it circling. That's from Kate. Now, Cork Bio report that multiple agencies were involved in a major search operation along the River Lee last night following the report of a missing person. Gardaí and other agencies assisted by the Coast Guard search and rescue helicopter from Waterford that arrived over the city shortly before midnight and was hovering over the city keys before searching a wide area. The operation has resumed this morning after Gardaí received a report of a missing man in his 60s. Well, look, we are thinking of the families involved. Uh, No one likes to deal with that. No one likes to hear about that. But that's what it was. It was a rescue operation. Uh, And it was the Coast Guard helicopters that answered that question about last night. 0818 96 96 96. We've all heard of AWARE. AWARE is a super organisation. It supports people impacted by depression or by bipolar. And they're looking to recruit volunteers uh, to help with their work. I'm speaking to David Bailey from AWARE. David, good morning. Hello, PJ. David, tell me first of all about the work of AWARE for anybody who hasn't come across it. Uh, so, so AWARE is uh, an organisation that, as you said, uh, supports people with depression and bipolar. And it does so through a number of different contexts. Uh, they do face-to-face group facilitation. They do phone-in facilitation, uh, Zoom group facilitation. Uh, they also do online uh, courses uh, in Life Skills Online, would be the name of that, uh, where they use cognitive behavioral therapy approaches uh, to try and teach people coping mechanisms, uh, life-building skills, and and different ways to try and help them to deal with the challenges that they're facing. Now, I assume you train your volunteers, but who is an ideal candidate? Sure. Well, I'm, I'm a volunteer. I, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not employed by AWARE. I'm a volunteer as well with AWARE. Hmm. 
procedure. And the, 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 because there's so many different contexts there, right, okay, in terms of how you can support people, uh, there's very much uh, something that can suit um, different people who, who want to try and support. So the first thing that they're looking for, obviously, is people who want to, to, to try and support people with depression and bipolar. Uh, they then interview the people, okay, in terms of uh, suitability, all right? They will ask them questions in terms of what their prior experience might have been. Uh, obviously, those with prior experience would be uh, preferred, but, but, but frankly, they'll, they'll train people as well. And the, the whole training process uh, is quite structured. Uh, they have, have uh, well, pre-pandemic, they had classroom training. Now it's predominantly by Zoom, but I'm sure that will go back to classroom in the near future. Uh, um, they also have uh, ongoing monthly calls to, to uh, allow volunteers to meet each other and to talk to each other about what they learned, the specific challenges that they faced. And then after every session where you're supporting people, there is a, a debrief, if you like, okay, so people also learn within that okay. and report back to AWARE in relation to what their experience was. Right. Now, looking for volunteers, and in Cork in particular? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, the, the, there's two things happening at the moment. Uh, PJ, one is that there there has been over the last, uh, I guess, two years now, more and more people looking for help, looking for support, because they're dealing with challenges that they haven't faced in the past. Um, they're suffering from depression and and are bipolar. And it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. That number is increasing. Uh, pandemic is partially behind that, uh, but also I think there's more of a, let's say there's more awareness. Uh, there's more people coming out and starting to talk about the problems. Um, but also because we're now in a post-pandemic phase, a lot of people are returning to, let's say, the normal, the, the normal demands of life yeah. where they had more time before. And they're finding that they have less time now to give to volunteering uh, because of that. So from both ends, right, yeah. it's becoming more and more critical, and especially in Cork, as you said, PJ. If there is anybody who's listening to us who thinks they, they might have something to offer, is it simply going to your website? That's where they start? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the the www.aware will, will, will bring you to the website. Uh, there's a process there for submitting your name and details and AWARE will be back on to you. They'll, they'll give you information, they'll set up a call and they'll begin that process in terms of identifying suitability, identifying which context you might be uh, more suited to. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really good um, organization, very well structured. Okay. All right. Listen, aware.ie, David Bailey, a volunteer with them. Thanks very much. If you think you could help, that's where you go, the website, aware.ie, 0818-969696. We have a lot of stuff to get through this morning. We'll have a bit of crack later on. Uh, the Pam and Tommy show is up uh, on Disney from today. Three episodes today, and I think they dropped the other, is it seven or eight of them? week by week, so you can't actually binge on the whole thing, but they give you a nice little taster uh, dropping today, uh, Pam and Tommy, and Crossy, of course Crossy has seen it, like, this guy watches televisions and and movies almost, we'll catch up with Crossy before the end of the programme, and a bit of an exclusive with that as well, he's had a chat with one of the stars of the show, so that's coming before the end of the opinion line today, Uh, Rachel was on uh, she was on a WhatsApp message to us and she was explaining about the grades that her son is hoping to get. And she said, my concern is the inflation will keep the points high. They have to come down. It's the only way students are going to get a choice in their courses. We filled in the CAO at the weekend and literally only put five courses of some interest down and three of those are currently out of reach anyway. So very limited and whether we'll be able to get to college at all. It's heartbreaking. That is from Rachel. 0818 96 96 96. I will give you the paper passport league table. In fact, the fastest we've found. I'll give it to you next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Side. Hi, it's Michael with an update on Cork's entertainment. Kurt Angle is a 14-time professional wrestling world champion with titles collected in WWE, TNA and Japan. Inside the Ropes Live presents the Olympic Hero Tour, an evening with Kurt Angle which comes to Cork Cypress Avenue for a show on April 26th. Access all areas. Created and performed by former Riverdance principal dancer Brendan DeGalli, Walls Talk marries songs from the jazz and blues golden era sung by Gina Borum with dance and text. Walls Talk comes to the Everyman Theatre for a short run tonight and tomorrow night. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by email Emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Katie was saying it might be worth mentioning for people worried about the Leaving Cert that, look, getting into university isn't all it's painted or blown up to be. I did my leave and search, said, six years ago. Missed out on my course, but found other ways to get my degree. And she'll look at me now in my dream job. Yeah. 0818969696 and it's not the be all and end all it isn't uh, there's this old guff out there now that you'll need a masters to flip burgers one of these days that's absolute 
It's a word I'd use off air. I won't use it on air, but it starts with B. <laughs> it's nonsense. But look, it is what it is, and people are worried about it, and uh, they'll be very worried about it come the summertime, and then it'll all. They'll realise in a few years' time, I wonder what it was all about. Well, yeah, at least I hope they will. At least I hope they will. <laughs> I looked into the passport turnaround times. Now, actually, whoever is running the online system for the passport service in Ireland, could they please put them in charge of the whole thing? Because it's absolutely flying. Uh, getting loads of reports of people getting their online renewals back in two days, three days, four days. But in a population of 5 million, and I did it on based on population and I just selected a few countries from around the world. So at the moment, a paper application, the Irish Passport Service, in a population of 5 million people, Passport Office says give 8 weeks. Give 8 weeks for the turnaround of your passport. Now we know it's taking an awful lot longer than that. And if there's any kind of a complication in it at all, it'll take longer again. But eight weeks is what they give in a country of five million people for a paper passport to be turned around. Our immediate neighbours in the UK, population 68.2 million. They say an average turnaround time of four to six weeks, but you should ideally allow up to 10 weeks for a paper passport, allowing for any complication or any difficulties. So a country of 68.2 million people, four to six weeks, up to 10 weeks. That's in the UK. In the US, now these are figures from the end of 221. Uh, So population, 332 million people approximately in the United States. Uh, Eight to 11 weeks is the paper turnaround Now, that's a lot faster for a huge population than ours. 8 to 11 weeks. You can pay extra and try and get it in 5 to 6 weeks. But for a standard application, 8 to 11 weeks. That's in America at the moment. Australia. Population 25.7 million. You should allow, again, this is from their official passport office website. You should allow up to 6 weeks to receive a passport no matter where you apply, a child passport can take a lot longer, especially when it needs parental consent. If you need one for urgent purposes, we can do it, but they need about six weeks in Australia. Germany, population 83 million people. I'm doing this for a reason. We have a tiny population and we're waiting a minimum of eight weeks. In Germany, 83 million. Four to six weeks is the standard It can take longer in certain circumstances, but they say allow four to six weeks. Uh, Other complications can lengthen that process. So I asked you where you think, or where would you think the fastest turnaround comes? And this is a paper application now. Fastest turnaround of a paper application. This is gas. This is gas. Population of 1.4 billion people 1.4 billion people in China they claim to be able to do your paper application in 5 to 15 working days the more complicated cases take 15 working days China 1.4 billion people 5 to 15 working days so a population of 1.4 billion turns over a paper based passport application 
in roughly the same time as it takes to get an online electronic renewal here with a population of four, five million. Just thought I'd bring you that information for what it's worth. It might be worth nothing to you, but certainly thought I'd bring it to you for what it's worth. Something else I'll bring you for what it's worth. Um, something's going to happen tonight. Tonight, okay? That will never happen again. I'll tell you in a while. I'll tell you in a while. 0818 96 96 96. More people die from lung cancer in Ireland every year than from any other form of the disease. However, if it's caught on time, we have fantastic treatments now. But the trick is catching it on time. So should we start screening people for it? Paul Gordon is Policy and Public Affairs Manager with the Irish Cancer Society. And we do bowel screen, Paul, and we do other such things. We do cervical check and we do breast check and those kind of things. Is it time to start screening for lung cancer? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thanks for having me. So yes, I mean we do have successful programs for that screen for cervical cancer, breast cancer, and bowel cancer. And since they've been they've been um, implemented, they've saved thousands of lives, and they're really important. And I suppose one of the the most important things when it comes to diagnosing cancer is catching it early. So when we talk about lung cancer, um, survival rates for people if they're diagnosed at stage one is around five and ten, but when you get to stage for diagnosis, it's less than one in 10 people survive longer than five years. Uh, and that's, you know, heartbreaking for, for many to hear who, who've, who've had a diagnosis like that or, or who've had a, lost a family member to lung cancer. But th- there is hope now. We are seeing um, really positive um, um, high impact clinical trials that have been uh, trialed across a number of countries involving mm. thousands of people, which demonstrate the effectiveness of lung screening, both in catching lung cancer early. How would one go about screening for lung cancer? So what they use is something called a low-dose CT scan. So people might might be aware of what a CT scan is. That's yeah. that's using a lot of different x-rays. Uh, and a lot of people have probably had a CT scan themselves through their lives. And this is just a, a lower radiation dose. Um, so it's about 90% less radiation than a traditional CT scan. And they, what they can find, um, so traditional x-rays, when we use them to identify lung cancers, they usually find lung cancers about the size of maybe a small coin like a cent or two cent coin but a low dose CT scan that can reveal abnormalities in the lung the size of maybe a grain of rice so that's a really important difference and you know the smaller the tumour it is when it's detected the less likely the cancer spread to other parts of the body Um, and that's really important for treatment because the later you're diagnosed, often treatment um, can be more invasive, it can be harder, and it can cost more to the state as well. Uh, so not only is this um, the implementation of a program like this um, life-saving, but it's also cost-saving over a long period of time. And I, I think that's why I suppose we really want to, to, to see movement on this. Um, Croatia is the only country in the European Union at the moment to have one, they're, 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 to have a lung screening program. Uh, there's been uh, It's been introduced in places like the US and China. And as you mentioned, there's a pilot in the UK, there's been a pilot in Belgium. And we really want to see progress on this so Ireland can 
can really be a world leader in lung cancer screening and, and, can, and we can kind of get ahead of the curve and save lives because we know that, that 2,000 lives are lost each year to lung cancer. And can and you just use a standard really CT scanner? Sorry, Paul, can you just use a, sta- a standard CT scanner or is it it's a different equipment that's needed? It's similar equip- equipment, but it would just be, it's, it's, a lo- it's a lower dose of, um, it's a lower dose of radiation. Okay. So is is your recommendations, have, are they with government? Uh, well, we have made, yes, we've made a submission to, to a, a group called the National Screening Advisory Committee. They reviewed the operation of screening services and look at new proposals uh, for other screening programs. Um, and we did make a submission at the end of the year last year. We know that the National Cancer Control Program um, have made a proposal towards the end of the year last year. So there is some um, positive movement. Uh, we expect that the, 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 the screening committee will take a little bit of time to review proposals that have come in. But, you know, we're hearing more and more from from uh, clinicians working in the respiratory space who, who work with, with lung cancer that screening programs do save lives the clinical trials have shown it um uh, and it's you know lung, lung screening is, is successful when it's part of a, a an early detection program where we have lung health checks as well where other lung findings can be managed so the people who might not have lung cancer but have other issues sure. can be referred on to the appropriate services okay. um so so it is really important and it would be it would be targeted screening so we'll be looking at people in the age group of 50 to 74 who are either current smokers or, or former smokers. Um, so, so it's a very targeted program uh, and it would, it's focused on those who are probably at the highest risk of, of lung cancer. Okay. All right, Paul. Thank you very much. We'll follow that with interest. The idea of lung screening to pick up early stage. Great. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks very much, Paul. Appreciate it. 0818 96 96 96. All right, I'll tell you what it is. Tonight, at 22 minutes past 10, it will be 22, 22 on the 2nd of the 2nd, 22. And on the 22nd of February, at 22 minutes past 10, it will be 22, 22 on the 22nd of the 2, 22. So a set of twos. And I can't figure out where that is ever going to happen again. This is the kind of lovely useless stuff you learn on the opinion line every day. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie They can call me. Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. On Cork's 96FM. Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne Teaser question. There's the latest celebrity goss. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With Newmarket Motors Volkswagen. Where you can test drive the full Volkswagen range. Including the all-electric ID3 and ID4. See newmarketvolkswagen.ie. On Cork's 96FM. An experience that somebody had with a passport. I'll read it. It'll be a while. But God, oh God, you'd be baking your head off a stone wall with this one. Orla, we were talking about services uh, earlier in the week, school services, school places for kids. And then, Orla, you wrote an email 
uh, to uh, Michael's team. When was the last time he got proper physio? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, the last time Michael got an actual physiotherapy session and not an assessment was five years ago. What? Yeah. Yep, five years since Michael has been got has gotten a physiotherapy session. And in that time, how many times have the TDs and ministers took a pay rise that could fund my son's physiotherapy and other children's all around the country? Explain for listeners what Michael's condition is. It's spina bifida, isn't it? No, Michael has L1 cam syndrome, which is hydrocephalus. Okay. Um, it's a rare genetic condition. It presents itself as hydrocephalus and epilepsy. Or sorry, epilepsy, and he's developmentally delayed. Okay. Okay. So he needs he needs complex therapies. One of them being physio to help him do normal movement that the rest of us take for granted. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like. Four years ago, Michael was able to walk with support. He was able to use a walker. He was able to do tons of sit-ups. He was able to sit to stand tons of times like throughout the day and like in a physiotherapy session. And he's not able to do any of that anymore. And he's in constant pain on a daily basis in the morning. What age is he now? He's nine, PJ. So he last got... He actually last had a physiotherapist actually work with him when he was four. Yeah. Now, in saying that, he has had private physiotherapy, yeah. but money doesn't grow in trees. And like, how much is a, I've pri- actually much booked is a private him. session? It can cost anything from 60 to 100 euro per session okay. for 45 minutes to a half an hour. Now, in fairness, I have booked him in for intense private physio in Barefoot on the Model Farm Rose. Um, on midterm break that's not going to be enough he would need constant physio and at the end of the the, the week long therapy I am hoping to be able to continue going to the model farm road and continue with our private physiotherapist that comes out to the house yeah. but I shouldn't have to do this yeah yeah. the, the services should be there yeah it's like it's ridiculous like and like he was in a lot of pain there recently and we actually ordered a pressure relieving mattress to our our public health nurse and Michael actually got COVID and the the guy actually still delivered it out because of the amount of pain that Michael was in like it's it's just it's not fair on the kids it's not fair on the parents the government needs to set up. I am not blaming the service provider. I am blaming government. This is coming from like a parent who is absolutely sick, sick to death of fighting for every single thing that her child needs. And like, it shouldn't have to happen. Like, yeah, there are parents out there who are struggling to look after their children. As a single parent, I'm lucky that we're able kind of able to afford um, book and private physio but that's not the case for every family Yes, it's not It's not, and like you say he's had assessments which means that the system is aware he needs something Yeah, like he had surgery there, he had hip relief surgery there in the South Infirmary in September 
there was no follow up physiotherapy afterwards. He had been get he has been getting his splints, his ankle mm. night orthotics, and his leg splints for night time as well. But he grows out of them pretty quickly. They become unusable. Mm. Um, and I'm actually waiting until his newest ankle orthotics actually mm. go too small, sure, sure, so I can he's get. Nine. He the grows like the grass, for God's sake. PJ, I actually stood him up last night. Now he didn't stand up properly. He's actually up to my chest, <sighs> and I'm not tall. <laughs> like he is going to be a tank. He is going to be so tall. Like his father is six one. Like I'm just like he needs the physio. He's growing like a weed currently at the moment, and like it's just not there. And when you talk, and it to needs the people, to be when you, when you talk to the people providing the service, what do they say? Two years. <sighs> Two years for a physiotherapy session, and then he won't get one the following week. It'll be another couple of months before he gets one. He, Michael needs constant physiotherapy on a weekly basis. Yeah. Now he was like when he was in early intervention, and don't get me started on the whole new system in the community. It's not working. It never has. Yeah. We weren't. Yeah, we you're, weren't. You're one of many to say that. With. Yeah, you're one of many to say that. They never. They never ask it's, the people who actually just, have to use it. Like yeah. Yeah. And like I was listening to your show earlier on, they don't ask the people on the front line either how they can help. But likewise, they don't ask the parents. Like it's absolutely ridiculous. Like, and I'm just tired. I'm physically and mentally tired from having to organize everything and fund it myself. And like, I am not going to fundraise again for my child. Like, I I just can't put my heart into it. He just needs the physiotherapy from his team that know him that I don't need to keep on dragging paperwork to different mm. people. To and say, that oh, know he needs he it needs. and how much he needs it. Yeah, like I'm just like, I'm actually disgusted that there was no follow up after his surgery of physiotherapy. It was just assessments afterwards. Like <laughs> follow up plans need to happen to to prevent deterioration again. Like, I just want, like, I would love to see Michael being able to do the things he was able to do four years ago. But what I truly want is for him to be in less pain. Yeah. Because without the physio, his little muscles are all tightening up and, and he can't. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's just, it's not fair on him. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96fm. Well, so earlier on, we'd have a bit of fun with uh, the Pam and Tommy show, which starts on Disney. It's th- the first three episodes have arrived on Disney today and there'll be a weekly episodes for I think it's 7 or 10 in total I catch up with Crossy about that before we finish it's he, he loves it anyway by the sounds of him also I mentioned at the very top of the program I never came back to it that um, you know we can have weddings now again with bands and DJs and great and all that but are there songs that you would tell your wedding DJ that under no circumstances he or she is to play are the, if, 
Is there a song? And just just for fun, we'll do this now. Just to, it's been, we had a lot of heavy stuff this morning. Uh, is there a song that you you would absolutely crucify your DJ if he or she played it at your wedding? Um, because trust me, as a DJ who did hundreds of weddings over the years, it's always the song that the bride or groom says, I don't want you to play that song under any circumstances. That's the song that'll start up a dead dance floor. That's the problem. Is there any song that you would never, never, never want your DJ to play as long as you live and you wouldn't care? You wouldn't care if the dance floor looked like a, a graveyard. Just as long as you didn't play that song. 0818 It comes after a, a DJ who's on TikTok. Um, and, and deed, uh, posh DJs on TikTok put up his own list of songs that should never be played. And every single one of them was an absolute smasher on a dance floor. Would really take a dance floor to bits if you played it. So yeah, have some fun with that. Low at three, three ninety six, ninety six, ninety six. Some more stuff to come, as well about passports and some comments on emergency departments from, from earlier on. But I want to return to the conversation we were having before the news, when Orla was talking to us about Michael, and uh, Michael has complex needs. A grand little lad, lovely fella. I haven't seen him in a couple of years, but lovely little lad. He he dreams of being a guard one day and he's one of these little blue heroes he's had his uniform his little hat and he's a he's a lovely lad and, and, and Orla is one of these parents she'd go to the ends of the earth for her little boy wouldn't any but a lovely lovely kid and, and he, all he has is pain because he hasn't had a proper physio appointment in the public sector for for five years and the family they do their best to get him some private treatment but you know yourself it's expensive and not everybody can can do that. Um, uh, now, Amanda, uh, Amanda, you, you work with other parents in, in that situation. You're a, a, an advocate for the Spina Bifida and Hydrocephalus Pediatric Advocacy Group. Um, and, I am, PJ. Thanks very much for having us on. Happy to do so. And, and you come across cases like Michael every single day. Yeah, I come across too many cases like Michael's every single day in relation to children with spina bifida and hydrocephalus. And I suppose the first thing to say is that no parent wants to air their child's medical details in the public. Um, but these parents and these children are very much out of time. We've 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 explained their conditions and their deteriorating and the fact that because they are born with conditions such as spina bifida and hydrocephalus they deteriorate at a much quicker rate than their atypical peers and they we have children that have become inoperable because of the long delays in access and care and they're facing amputation becoming inoperable in relation to urology care, they're facing dialysis, renal failure, and it's just it's in, it's inadequate and it's not acceptable. Yeah. Why why do why are they seemingly left on the scrap heap? Um I think there's a major misconception in relation to what these fa- what these children these children's capabilities in life to be honest. Um we, Connor Green spoke out on the 5th of November in, on the Health Oroctus Forum and he stated publicly how mature, intelligent, 
these children are and how much they have to give society, but that they urgently need access to timely medical care. Um, he was talking in relation to orthopaedics. I think the entire country is aware of exactly what's facing orthopaedics. They've they it's all over the media right now. Uh, our children have been all over the media, and yeah. uh, but it's not just orthopedic care. It's urology care. It's it's local services, as Orla highlighted. It's just it's it's not good enough anymore. It's not. I was know, watching a little girl on the news the other night, and it broke my heart. This these special shoes that she needs. She needs a new pair. Uh, and and yeah, she Ava. Can't even, yeah, yeah. What an awful yeah. that poor little kid. It, Ava's one of our kids and Ava's one of the children that we're trying to we're trying very very hard to advocate for and what a fantastic child and her mum is fantastic as well but you'd want to have a heart of stone for that to not have broken your heart the other night Um, like the absolute minimum standard of care for children with spina bifida is to be seen by consultants so in the neuro in the disability sector so that's orthopaedic neurology neurosurgical urology and ophthalmology once a year None of the spina bifida kids are getting seen once a year. They're getting seen at a minimum every two years and more likely every three years. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's just not good enough. And as Orla was saying, the the little orthotics that the kids need, like by the time Michael gets the new set, he's already outgrown them because she's grown like the grass. Yeah, it's just, there's a huge, there's a huge problem in, say, timely overturn in relation to support and support where, and that's why I suppose um, Catholic kids, if they could receive the funding, they've looked for 5.1 funding, 5.1 million in funding for their expansion plan, uh, and that would see them able to increase uh, orthopedic services there by over 400% to address the waiting lists, and it's not included in the draft plan that was seen in December. What brought you into this work, Amanda? Uh, My son. I have a son with spina bifida and hydrocephalus. Uh, TJ is 17. And he is bright and bubbly and independent. And he's a full-time wheelchair user, but he is very, very capable and has a lot to give this country. And that's what brought me into it. I became acutely aware about eight or nine years ago about the, in relation to the decline to the decline of services my son lives with inoperable scoliosis so i became complete uh, i became aware and through talking to other families we became aware that things were rapidly declining 10 12 years ago we were in a much better position it was much easier to access the care for these children it used to be that the sickest children the most complex children were seen in a timely manner because it was understood that they deteriorated faster. Mm. That's not the case anymore. That's not the case for all, the majority of our families. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and like, a lad like TJ, did you, that, that was his name, like he just wants to, he just wants to be the, the best that he can be and contribute in the best way that he can. Oh, my son TJ is in mainstream school. He's, he's like I said, he's 17. He goes swimming he does crossfit he is he's a normal child who because he was born with a disability can't access services in this country in a timely manner and it's disgraceful and like we're all acutely aware that the COVID pandemic has occurred and that the cyber attack has occurred and we acknowledge the impact that that's had on on the administration of of substandard what we would deem as already substandard level of care to our children prior to this but in in 2014 there was a 
Temple Street Hospital published a report that said children, uh, the care of children with spina bifida was grossly underfunded, understaffed and failing children with spina bifida in this state. Yeah. I mean, and that's 24 Yeah, I have, a, I, have a, I, have a, I have a buddy who had a spina bifida um, as a kid and uh, we've talked about the, the services over the years. His was mild enough, but, but at the same time, you know... Um, and they all have Michael has TJ has they all have their their dreams like any child like Michael Michael would love to be a guard yeah, some of them want to be scientists some of them what reasons best known to themselves want to be journalists they don't want to be known as the lad in the wheelchair who's always in pain no and like we're very lucky TJ's never been like he's got good friends, he's got a wide circle, he goes to normal school. And I think then this generation, his generation, are much better at seeing past the, the wheelchair and he's included and he goes about his normal life. Yeah. But where he struggles is where is to gain access and that yeah. is hampering my child's ability and his ability to become independent and to live his best life. Like these children are missing out on activities they're missing out on birthday parties sports days days in school trips away because they're living their lives on waiting list and it's not acceptable anymore yeah. and like people listening will think oh go fund me or go abroad or go privately that it's spinal bifida and hydrocephalus are lifelong condition access and private health care or going abroad is not the solution they need to be seen by the wonderful teams like we do not put the blame on the doctors and the nurses and the specialists who are in these services slogging way doing their best the system is broken and it they're massively underfunded and under resourced and it's just not fair it's not fair to the staff working in these situations and it's not fair to these children and their families yeah i mean i've spoken to staff now obviously they can't you know they can't identify themselves on the air for all sorts of reasons but i've spoken off the air to staff and they've i've i've, I've listened to them cry about having to let some little lad go early or not be able to see him because they're just they're just swamped it's just mad. it's it's disgraceful it's it's disgraceful i can't imagine what it's like day in day out for these nurses and doctors to have to face these families and say i know you were promised a surgery but unfortunately we've just lost your bed do you know they, they can't keep addressing these situations and that's happening up and down the country like I can't like they can't keep addressing these issues in acute in acute sentence only there needs to be this needs to be addressed in what would be deemed elective sentence such as Kappa because elective sentence such as Kappa hospital do not take in they don't have an emergency department so it's not going to be rescheduled because of an emergency and we absolutely acknowledge the need for emergency care but these children need to be dealt with in a timely manner that's the only thing it's fair it's cruel to allow these children to sit on waiting lists okay. it's cruel to for them to be sitting in hospital beds uh, fasting thinking finally we're getting there and then for it to be whipped out from underneath them it's it's just it's not fair it's it's crucial that these are dealt with and dealt with in a timely manner all right it's good to talk to you amanda santry co-lead advocate for the spina bifida and hydrocephalus pediatric advocacy group but she's also mum to tj and that's why she got into this in the first place and of course listening to orla Talking about Michael also before that. 0818 96 96 96. There's a few suggestions coming in. Yeah, the song, the song for which you would fire your DJ. <laughs> the song for which you would say, I'm not paying you. The song that you forbid. There's a few good ones coming in. 
And I, they're nearly all songs that would... Well, one in particular that wouldn't play anyway. On passports, what I don't understand is why is there such a difference between the online and the in-person applications? If we could answer that question, I think we'd solve it, Marion. She also says, I think New Zealand and Iceland are the fastest ones. With China, we found, for its population. Uh, here's a story, right? Now, I read this twice, so I hope I get it right. Hi, PJ. I sent away my child's passport in November. They sent his old one back with the sides cut off and asked for my wife's birth certificate to verify her maiden name. We did that six weeks ago. For the past three weeks, we've now been ringing and emailing the passport office. They finally responded saying, if we paid €120, Euro, we could get an appointment and then a four-day turnover for the passport. On arriving at the passport office yesterday, my wife was basically told they lost all my son's details and set another appointment to come back with all his new passport details and pictures on So they lost it. So can you get all that stuff again? I'm going back on Friday. So now at nearly 10 weeks and 200 euro later, we're back at square one and we're going on holidays on the 14th of February. Oh, for the love of God. But they say, why do they charge you 120 quid for an appointment. Like, are they not working anyway in... 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie the Premier League Live, powered by Talk Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. The weekend fixtures take a two-week break, so we're back Saturday, February 12th, with some cracking games. The relegation battle is on, and the fight for top four has just begun. One, the, the Premier League Live. With now, join in the experience with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Listen every Saturday, exclusively online at 96fm.ie, or download the Cork 96 FM app. Courts 96 FM. Yeah, on the charges for passport appointments. PJ, it's like the doctor's charging over the phone now for the tiniest thing. Yeah. You see, doctors always charged. And charging over the phone, yeah, it sticks in the craw a small bit, but you never had to, at least I don't think you ever had to pay for an appointment to see someone in the passport office before the pandemic. Did you? I don't know. <laughs> Some of your songs. <laughs> John says, no, not Bohemian Rhapsody. I don't need any. I don't need to hear everybody destroying Queen. Anne says Christmas music in the middle of summer. Yeah, that would be a bit of a no-go uh, no for me too. Mick says, either version of Candle in the Wind. <laughs> Anything with Nathan Carter. What the hell did we do to deserve Wagon Wheel? <laughs> and yet it's one of those ones that will wake the dead. Puppy Love. Puppy Love? Who'd play Puppy Love at a wedding? And a song I'd never want the DJ to play is anything that isn't from the Shrek soundtrack. You've got a short disco, but ten tracks on that. Your suggestion, what song is your wedding DJ absolutely not allowed to play? 083 396 Now, Michael was tweeting 
yesterday, Michael O'Reardon, uh, putting up pictures of different parts of the city. And I, I, I've no desire to go back to an old north-south side divide thing, Michael. But when you put your pictures up on Twitter, it really is, isn't it? A tale of two cities. Good morning. Yeah, hi PJ. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, it's just a stark contrast. Um, you know, again, just those two pictures alone. I've been, I kind of do my own thing, cleaning the park and all these kind of stuff. Compare them, um, for but when seen you them, compare the pictures, yeah. Um, first of all, you have the the Corrieheen over by um, Murphy's Farm, um, the Corrieheen River Walk, which is an absolute credit to the city. The work that was done there is absolutely brilliant, and um, you couldn't fault it. Um, but we have a very similar river here on the north side, uh, the River Bride going through Blackpool. And um, they couldn't be any different, you know. It's a stark contrast between the two of them. Um, you know, and it's just, it's when you see it, you know, you just, you, you, it kind of sticks in your grass, kind of like, you know, there's a bit of, there's something wrong happening on this side of the city. If we have something that beautiful on the other side, why don't we have this on, on our side of the city? No, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the the situation with the the flood and everything in Blackpool and the mm-hmm. the court case with mm-hmm. the the culvert and everything. Yeah, yeah. But uh, essentially, you know, it's we've been treated. You know, not say us and them, but you know, that's this side of the city has been treated completely different when it comes to solving these problems. Okay, there's a problem with flooding in the in the Blackpool area as well. How do we address that? And and the the only answer they were able to give was we'll we'll just cover over the river. And since that decision was made, then basically the the river is, you know, there's no point in taking care of that anymore. There's no point in doing anything. And they stick up, you know, horrible concrete bollards all along it, which which have never which have never stopped any overflowing of water from them. They've never been tested. Um, and if it wasn't for a local group, uh, the Saver by the others guys, and especially Chris Moody, he's down there every day keeping that river clean it would be in a way worse state than it is. But um, the trouble is, you know, we have that little bit of area there. It's It's gone through so much neglect. It could be so much better. Mm. And when you see what happens on the other side of the city, you kind of get a bit angry about it and think, you know, why can't we have that? Why can't we have the same solutions? There's better solutions for that river that could have been implemented a long, long time ago, mm. and they weren't. And now we're in a situation where we have this really dilapidated area and the best solution is to cover it over is, is, is not great, you know. And then in the meantime, it's left to fall apart because nobody cares about it. Yeah. It's essentially condemned, so. Yeah. I mean, you have local representatives on the north side of the river and on the south side, but you have quite a number yeah. of representatives. Is, and they're, you know, they're not backwards and coming forwards to, to lobby for their areas. So what do you think is happening, Michael? Yeah, I just, I, I, I really could, you know, again, it's not about pinpointing anyone for blame, but it's just when there's decisions to be made, it just seems like, like we get the bad decisions. You know, it's the easier decision, just just ram it through, you know, forget about it, we'll get the job done, it'll be easy, rather than, you know, coming up with better solutions, nicer solutions. Same thing with bins in the area. Um, okay, there is a problem with illegal dumping. There's people who don't want to pay for their bins. There's people who can pay for their bins. And for a long time, you know, you had the, again, you had that dumping happen along the river. But one of the city council's solution was to take away the bin in Blackpool. There's, you know, I'm not sure exactly how many bins were there, but again, people were dumping their household rubbish in there, and the solution is take away the bin. Then that rubbish ends up going somewhere else, and inevitably it usually goes up in, into the into the river. So again, if there isn't going to be a bin in Blackpool because someone's misusing it, then maybe there shouldn't be a bin on Patrick Street because someone's misusing it. But it doesn't seem to be that way. It seems to be an unfair treatment of one one part of the city because of you know. 
uh, a problem that isn't exactly everybody's making. You know, it's a small amount of people who maybe do that, but it's like a collective punishment then on the rest of us because because that happened. You know, and again, you can't you solve the problem yourself. Again, I was walking through. Uh, Blackpool the, the other morning on a small walk and there was three or four beer bottles uh, on top of um, one of those transformer boxes near the bus stop so someone's obviously having a, a drink of their beer the bus comes, they drop the bottle down, they hop on the bus to gun. so again that's something simple if there was a bin in the area I could have picked those up on Saturday, Saturday, Sunday morning on my walk and popped them into the bin there, you know, job done you know, that kind of, you know, give people a chance to kind of, you know, make their area better yeah. and do better with, with what we have but if we don't have something as simple as a bin in the main in our main, you know, town in on the north side of Blackpool, yeah. you know what, what do you expect people to do, you know it's, it's again, it just seems unfair and, un, and, and disproportionate you could, you could say they take it home with them in their pocket but that's probably a bit yeah, yeah, but again, you know that again. That's in you know in a perfect world, these things happen. But you know, we don't live in a perfect world, yeah, PJ. Yeah, yeah. I know that. Yeah. No, and in in terms of the, the we, when we get pictures in of litter, you know, it, it constantly, <clears throat> I'll bring I'll bring it to the attention of listeners, and I'll say it's in this place or it's in that place, and you get that wouldn't happen in Douglas or that wouldn't happen in yeah. Bishopstown. Now, sometimes that's a misperception because I may tell you I live in Douglas and we have our problems. Down there, yeah, we, we all have, have problems. We, have we all have problems. problems. But, yeah. You know, yeah. it it wouldn't be to that extent. It wouldn't be tolerated. Yeah, it wouldn't. Yeah, and again, that's something we we you know, I my hashtag is civic on the Twitter or civic pride Northside. You know, again, there's there's an element of it's there's give and take there. You know, but again, when you're constantly getting run down and you're beat down and you're been talked down and looked down by you know the city council or by the other side of the city. You know, then people become that, you know, say, well, you know, no one cares about this place. Or again, you know, coming up with a bad solution like covering over the river means we have years of an area getting neglected because they're just waiting to come in and, and, and build on top of it. Then people see that, they see the rubbish and they like, well, this is all we are. This is all we can be. No one will take care of it. No one will do anything. You know, and some people have taken care of it. No, they have done, you know, they've done, they've gone up against the state. They've gone up against the OTPW. And, you know, we, we basically, that river is, for now, it's okay, it's there. So it's kind of an element of, you know, okay, it's there, let's make the best of it, make mm. best use of it, and, you know, make it as good as the south side, you know. Mind you, mind you, you know, the, the other thing you would say is that Blackpool had, for, for years, many, many serious flooding incidents, you know. We, didn't, mm-hmm. we had one yeah. that I can remember in Douglas, but, you know... We had to have something done about that flooding because businesses were being destroyed and homes were being destroyed. Yeah. Something yeah, had yeah, to that's yeah, yeah. But again, there's there's uh, flooding relief went in and in Douglas much better. And I'm, I'm not one to debate these the, the strategies, but no, there was right, a cheaper, though, you, better you, strategy. You, you, yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. They did yeah. a much better job to make sure that what happened in 2012 can't happen again. You're you're dead right. Yeah, and again, there's other strategies. There's other proposals. There are even cheaper proposals that would actually enhance the area and enhance a lot of the, the river up further, you know, help to create wildlife habitat. A much better solution, nicer solution, and something we can be proud of. But that solution wasn't the one chosen. It's the worst solution, and that worst solution then leads to more dereliction and decline and, and worse things for the area. And then we get talked down, then when, you know, we try to better ourselves and sort of, you know, make the place a bit nicer. Even, the, again, the case of a, a bin, again, if there's a bin on Patrick Street, there should be a bin on Blackpool, End of discussion. If there's a problem with legal dumping, that comes down to enforcement and 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 making sure that that things are done right. But 
they're basic services and we don't seem to have them at the moment. Yeah, basic, I, I, That's a very good way of putting it. They are basic services and parts of the city do not have the same level of basic service as others. And that's what that's the yeah. inequality you're talking about. Yeah, that, that, that would be kind of the, the, the crux of it really. But again, and like I said, you know, there's an onus on us as well. But again, if you're repeatedly dragged down and, you know, been talked down and looked down, you essentially become that that thing that people say you are, you know, an area is, you know, and it's hard for people to kind of overcome it. One thing I want to want to say again, I've been doing um, taking care of my own park up there in Poppins Field, and I want to thank for the first time ever the grass was cut uh, yesterday, and we didn't have any shredded litter left around on, uh, after the cut, which is great because that's a huge help to me and other people who are trying to keep that area clean, because when litter gets shredded. It becomes something that was one Coke can or one plastic bottle turns into 300 pieces and what would have been a five-minute job turns into a 20, 30-minute job. So again, not to be totally negative about anything, there are good things happening and City Council are listening on on some things and councillors are coming on board as well and trying, trying their best to address it. But, you know, there's a lot of little basic things like that we need to kind of have an attitude change on. And going forward, you know, we might be able to do, do, you know what, do better. Yeah. You have a great appreciation of balance, and, and I really appreciate that uh, from you because it's very good and uh, very interesting contribution to the programme. Thanks, Michael. Uh, he just said, look, the services that other parts of the city get, like bins and flood relief and having their rubbish properly collected, well, he maintains the parts of the north side where he grows up, grew up and where he lives. They just don't get that. They just don't get it. You put bins into Patrick Street, but you don't put them into Blackpool, is what he says. Why not, is what he asks. Always one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Someone on Twitter says, don't play puddle of mud at my wedding. PJ, I think D-I-V-O-R-C-E would be a great song to play at a wedding. I had it played at mine for the crack. My mother-in-law was appalled, says Anne. <laughs> Which one, though? Would you play Dolly's original version or would you play Billy Connolly's version? Which one? <laughs> Blackpool was always notorious for flooding, so why was it built on? If you build on a flood site, guess what's going to happen? It's going to flood, says a message. Tom says, we've been asking the council to clean up dog fouling in Blackpool for two years. Just not done. Asked them to clean the footpath. Not done. They told me over the phone they have the means. So where are they? Because they simply haven't done it. Which is exactly the point that Michael is making. The other parts of the city do tend to get the services that they want and they need. Here's one from Morris before I move on there, Fergal. Um, Morris, I, I've come across this. Um, and people like Adrian Weckler have pointed out that you need to be careful what you're doing when you buy something from a company because online. Because if co- a company has an, a .ie address, it may not necessarily be an Irish company. You can buy a .ie address. So if you think you're using an Irish company to buy something online, you end up getting customs charges because natural fact, the company was outside of Ireland. Yeah, that, that does, Morris wants to know, does it grind my gears a little bit, Michael? Just a little bit. 0818 96 96 96. A new book of stories rooted in the tradition of the traveller community, is on bookshelves at the moment and getting quite a good reception. Uh, the writer is Owen de Vardoon. Owen, good morning to you. 
Good morning, Peter. Thanks very much for having me on. Delighted. The book is called Why the Moon Travels. Short stories, fictional or true stories? I think all stories, regardless of fiction or, or non-fiction, have a bit of truth to them. So I would say there, there's truth in them, but also there's the, the wildness of imagination. And they're all rooted in traveller tradition. Why did you Why did you decide to write a book like that? Well, kind of being a member of the of the traveller community, I think there's there's a there's a sheer lack of awareness of our actual culture and our beauty and our customs. And I think storytellings and especially folk tales, they're quite they're they unify us and they show us our common humanity. And also, they're very entertaining. They're they're fun. And I wanted to I wanted to write the book that I wanted to read when I was younger. And the the title is fascinating. Why the moon Mm -hmm. travels? Where did you get that from? Yes. Well, we get, we have um, we have our, within our own, I suppose, our own mythos of the world around us. There's there's tales and everything, and it's also within the wider community. For most people, will remember why the robin has a red chest or why the rain is king of all birds. Yet there's a huge gaps in some of the other tales. But one of our tales is actually why the moon itself travels. And it's a wonderful um, kind of, I suppose, um, telling around how the the moon fell in love with a man who was a traveler. Traveler fell in love with the moon. They spent some time together. It was forbidden, and eventually they were separated. And from their her time spending with travellers and that man, she the, herself, the moon, now travels the sky, um, which is a reflection of our nomads and our connection, but also the fact that we're a part of the world and the world is a part of us. So I, 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 would, I would suggest, I, I, I've written it better than I'm describing it, right? Yeah. But, um, but I, I, I do think it's, um, it's, 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 quite, a, it's quite, quite a beautiful, connective tale. Yeah. Uh, many of the stories, of course, from the traveling community, and like you're right, they've been telling stories and writing, writing their music and speaking their own language for many years, and, and their crafts are well known. Some of it has slipped away. Why do you think that is? Well, I, a lot, life moves on, you know, and I think that when we say some of the things that are known for them, most people think of our crafts, they think of our tinsmiths. Um, and within our community, that's the, people are incredibly proud of that. But also, that's a small sliver of an insight. Because yeah. if you could just imagine if three tinsmiths turned up to the same village, not that many people are going to be able to be fed. So there's a huge diversity of skill sets and techniques. And for instance, like my, some of my mother's people, they were lacers, which means that they used to fix um, fine bone china by literally knitting it together. And oh. as my friend, the other side of the family, yeah, and it's actually some of that's actually uh, on display in Tor House in the Country Life Museum in Mayo. Fascinating stuff. But again, it was just that people to see Travers and think the tinkery kind of like the, that style of metalwork, which people are incredibly gifted around. But if we live in the world that we live in, there's a huge diversity of skills and abilities, and you'd be able to turn your hand to a lot of things. Yeah. And also in the Goa Museum, there's the, there's a collection of really small spindles. And I, I dropped spindles. I was fascinated. Like, why are they so small? It's because um, travel women used to spin beside, uh, fi- um, beside the fire. And if you had a large spindle, it would drop and potentially bounce into the fire. So there is a lot of there's a lot of a history that people like just don't know about us because we're again we're not really in the curriculum. We're not really exchange yeah. ourselves in social spaces yeah. so there's a whole rediscovery of each other because our history is in fact Irish history and even when you think about our, our wider mythos is like you know like, like the Ulster cycle you know, like Colin and Maeve and all that stuff to travellers if you look at the stories they're nomads they're one of our people they're, they're all the, they were moving left right centre they're doing this going up and down they're travellers to us yeah. and I have that when you don't see it from our angle it just comes oh that's this mythos and whether from our point of view and a collective point of view, it's it's more like we're there. We just haven't always seen us. Yeah, uh, and and you have your own music and your own folklore and your own culture. Oh yeah, 
due to the and language, I mean, since 2017, our language is Gammon Kent. Um, it's recognised and protected by UNESCO, you know, in terms of our cultural rights. Um, you know, and it's a form of, of, of Guadic Irish, which means that it predates Old Irish, but it's, it has changed and evolved over the years. It has incorporated, like, in the lexicon, some of the English, you know, some of Old Middle Irish. But we have some words, like our word for a priest is uh, Cunha. And that actually translates as druid. And our word for knight is alami. And that's actually found in Om script. So there's a lot of, so we've, been, we've been protectors silently of parts of Irish identity and history that unfortunately has been overlooked because of social as well as concepts around us. But in fact, they're going, we've maintained a way of life and connection that is very old and very sacred and very important to the overall reflection of Irish identity. Yeah, no. Yeah, the, the, the book is from stories you yourself heard in your own childhood. Yes. Yeah. It is, yeah. I, and which which is which is one way kind of delightful because I, I I only had to I only had to retell them. Um because we within our tradition um and also then they, they were um they were illustrated by the wonderful artist who's a cork woman, uh, Leanne McDonough. I'm also a member of the community. And what within our traditions is kind of, there's almost three rules. You know, one is that if you, if you receive a story, you have to pass it on because you, the, the one of the worst things to do if a story died on your lips. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. The second would be, regardless of how fanatical it might be, you tell it as it's true. Um, because it's truth within, there is some truth within it, just like your yeah. original question. Uh, you know, and the, the kind of the third, yeah, I mean, and then that's what the third one's around kind of always identifying where it's from because you're honoring the past because stories don't just come from old, they come from the being, the being shaded and made, I suppose, a little bit different by other people's opinions and thoughts and ideas on them. So we're actually, we're, we're passing on a thread of a story rather than the story itself. The idea of the story, I mean, it's a, it's a bit like a balladeer kind of feels yeah. obliged to pass on a song that he or she has been given, as they say. So when you were told these stories as a child, you're kind of, there's an expectation on you to pass them on. Does, doesn't that kind of make uh, you, you uh, the, a, a, a journalist almost by birth? Yeah, well, I, I think in one way or another, we don't realise we all tell stories. Like if you've ever sat down or across the kitchen table and said, do you know what happened last night? You are, in fact, a storyteller. You know, which was sometimes we just honour stories different ways. And sometimes we, we look at the social stories and we look at political stories. And sometimes like what I like to do is the folk tales because they come with the idea of how we understand qualities and, I suppose, attributes and understanding. But I think it's something that we all do. It's just within our community, it's, it's very much a part of our tradition to maintain it rather than it happen very casually. Okay, well, the, the the book has done extremely well so far. Picked up a number of awards and citations, so congratulations <laughs> on it. And it's in all good bookshops. Why the Moon Travels, written by Owen de Vardoon. Good to have you on the opinion line, Owen. And uh, that's listener says, that's the book I wanted to read or to write growing up. Best I've heard in a while. That's good on him. Sorry, lads, missed his name. His name was Owen de Vardoon. 0818-969696. Right, it looks like being the maddest television show and one of the most talked about television shows of 2022. We'll get the the heads up from Crossy next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. Now, Crossy, I remember this being the huge celeb scandal of its time. Now it's a television series in how many parts? Morning. 
10 parts and I'm telling you if you are listening now and you're sitting beside your mom and dad when normal people was on or there's you have kids and you're watching normal people and you're like oh I don't really know if they should be watching this I would advise you to watch this on your own or watch it with someone you're comfortable with it is full on like it's I was watching it in work and <laughs> the cleaner came in and she walked down to me and she said are you okay and I was like no I'm watching something about Pamela and Tommy and she was like looking at me again I said no 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 not the actual video I'm watching the series about the video it is quite full on but it's also you know people were thinking oh it's going to be a bit of filth it's not like it's there's some funny bits in it it's very serious at times because I don't think many people knew with the Pamela Anderson tape from back in was it 1994 tell tell people the story it's it's a while ago now it was the early days the very early days of the internet So, so tell people the story so basically, uh, Pamela Anderson was massive back in the 90s. She was in Baywatch. She was riding high. Um, everyone wanted to watch Baywatch. And it starts off, the whole movie starts, sorry, the series starts off with her enjoying her life as an actress. She meets up with a guy called Tommy Lee, who is a, he was in the Motley Crew, wasn't he? Right. Massive at the time. Yeah, massive at the time. And they went on one date, just one date, and they ended up getting married on a beach. And everybody in the media was talking about them. There was no internet. There was nothing like that. So it was on TV. They recorded something for their personal use. But at that time, Tommy was getting his house done up by this carpenter. And Tommy kept saying, you know what, you could do, just do everything. The money is no object whatsoever. But he was not paying this carpenter. So the carpenter was like, right, I'm out of here. You're not paying me any money. And then Tommy ends up sacking him. So the big thing about this was back in the day when everything was revealed that the carpenter had robbed a tape, what he had did was he had dressed up as Tommy Lee's dog, which was what the Dulux dogs look like. I don't know what they're called, but you know those big, yeah, massive dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, robbed, and he robbed a safe. But in the safe was guns, jewellery, and a tape. So... The guy, his name, his name is Rand, decided to go look to see what was in it, found out what was in the tape, and then went to try and sell it to, you know, film places. And they were going, no, we're not touching it because Pamela Anderson is massive. We'll get sued. And he just so happened to come up on the internet and went, oh, what if I put it up here and people can go onto the internet and buy it off me? It's just, it's remarkable. Now, I always thought that Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee released themselves. I was only six or seven at the time, and even I knew about it. So that's how much it was everywhere at the time. Now, Pamela Anderson has given the okay to this drama series. And I can see why, because the, the, the series in itself, I've seen three episodes now. It starts off telling the Carpenter story, who's played by Seth Rogen. And I swear to God, he must have lost seven stone for it. He's chiseled in it. Um, then the second part talks about Tommy Lee's side of the story. And then the third part gets into the, you know, the nitty gritty part of it. Right, right, as right, in right. how to the, the, the bit where you yeah. send your oh, mum out to make tea. Is that the bit? Oh, do you know what? That is it. That is it. But we spoke to uh, Taylor Schilling. Yes. So Taylor was Piper in Orange is a New Black. She's in it as well. She plays Rand the Carpenter. She's, she's no stranger wife. to Ronchi Telly then. Well, let me tell you, uh, you'll be making a lot of tea when uh, when her character Erica uh, comes into it because there's a lot there's a lot of that. But I was talking to her about the whole thing, and she says she couldn't even believe that Pam and Tommy made absolutely zero money from this. The insanity that people thought that they, I mean, myself included, that that was like a self release tape or something, or they were making money off of it, or I mean the. I mean, it, it's shocking. I was, I was, I was beside myself when I read the script. And I was like, they didn't even make money off of it, and it's generated like seventy-seven million dollars. 
and they've never seen any, I mean, it's such an intense crime and so such a micro of like the macro of how we treat, you know, women and, 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 and public figures and, um, so this like this was a long time before Me Too or, or Gotcha stuff on the internet. But who got all that money? The guy. The guy who the Rand Gutier, who was the the carpenter, he's the man who got most of the money. Right. It's just fascinating how how he just fell upon this tape and because he was so annoyed at Tommy Lee. And there are times where you feel sorry for the character Rand because he had no money, no money whatsoever. Everything was going into this brand new house that Tommy Lee wanted. And because now Tommy Lee is in a tong for most of the first uh, the first episode, he's kind of showing off this whole, you know, I have this lavish lifestyle and all that. And he is played by um, Sebastian Stan, who was Bucky in the Marvel movies. And he's incredible. He's incredible. But I did say to Taylor, I was like, look, in Ireland, we have normal people. Everyone went crazy with the scenes and that. And here's what she had to say when I compared it to Barney. In Ireland, we had this TV series called Normal People. And it caused a bit of a fuss because there was oh, a lot yeah. of scenes and, you know. That's Catholic such a great Ireland. show. I love that show. Catholic Ireland went wild, let's just tell you that. But watching this today. You lost your mind. You lost your minds over normal people. I was just like. Wow, this is uh, this makes uh, normal people look like Barney, <laughs> which is very makes weird. it look like the big purple dinosaur. That's what I said. I watched I watched Pam and Tommy, and I said, "You know what this does? Makes normal people look like a dinosaur." So yes, that's that's it. No, that's it funny. Makes normal people look like Barney. That's your quote of the week, Crossy. Yeah, you just I'm telling I, you. <laughs> you have one more last thing I want to play back. That's you asked her about the realisation of what had actually happened to Pamela Anderson at the time and how she felt about it. This is really important. Have a listen to this because she really depicts, you know, the whole thing uh, in her answer. It, it, it is horrific. And, you know, that, that Pamela Anderson has never really received her due. That actually, rather than, I mean, I came away from the series like, this woman is a hero. The inner resources she drew upon to, in the face of being having her privacy violated to that extent and wanting to be essentially, you know, taking her out at the knees in terms of her ambition to be a serious actress. It just ended it. You know, she was not able to keep going, but she still showed up to her life. She was still in public. She still held her head head up and was doing interviews and was and was working and trying and knowing that no one knew the truth. And I was so humbled and moved by that. This is very much on the adult section of Disney, isn't this, Crossy? Oh, stop. I, just make sure you have your pin code, first of all, and it's on the star part of Disney+. Plus. I think, well, already people are talking about it worldwide. It's trending all over the world at the minute. Uh, Pam and Tommy, three episodes tonight, and then it will be released weekly after that. Oh, weekly? 
Crikey. We, oh, Disney don't do it yet. Yeah, Disney holds you in. Disney holds you in. And so does now, actually. Uh, and, you know, I kind of like it. I like this by appointment on Wednesday. You know that you have an episode to go home from work to watch Pam and Tommy or whatever else it is. But, yeah, Disney seem to be doing that now. That's, they're not like Netflix where it's gone. There you go. That's your whole evening all done. <laughs> we, 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 should, we, we, we should talk sometime about that, 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 how we like to get the whole series in one go these days because that's, that's why I'm gone. Listen, it's on Disney. Pam and Tommy, the overage session Disney and you leave your password and a pin and the whole lot. Crossy, thanks ever so much and that's it for today. The programme edited by Fargal Barry, produced and researched by Katie O'Keefe. We'll see you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.